Welcome to the Anglican Church of the Good Shepherd, Pelham, Alabama podcast. The story of God's people is really a story of God's presence. The Lord is constantly with His people and desires to be close to them. Closer than they can even imagine. Now, in Genesis, we find that the Lord God likes to walk in the cool of the day with Adam and Eve. To walk with them. And the Lord, he continues walking as he walks with Enoch until he is no more. For he is taken by the Lord God. He speaks to Noah and provides him instructions on how to save his family and his creation, the animals in the ark. And the Lord continues speaking to Father Abraham and gives him the promise of a land and of being a father to a people. The Lord makes a covenant with Father Abraham. A sacrifice that only he is to keep with Abraham present. And the Lord meets Abraham under the tree of memory, dines with him, and promises a son within a year. And if Moses too was visited by the Lord God, there in the burning bush, and given the task of redeeming his people from slavery in Egypt... Moses travels up the mount to Sinai and speaks to the Lord face to face as a man does with his own friend. He returns with God's written law, written by God's very hand into stone. But he also comes down from the mount to see that his brother, Aaron, has given into the people's rebellious hearts and their demands for a false idol to worship. And Exodus 32 records what happens next. The next day, Moses said to the people, You've sinned a great sin, and now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. But the Lord said to Moses, Whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. But now go, lead the people to the place about which I have spoken to you. Behold, my messenger shall go before you. Nevertheless, in the day in which I visit, I will visit their sin upon them. Even in sin, even despite their sin, God promises to visit his people, but warns that it will be a day of judgment. Nevertheless, the Lord God continues meeting Moses on his journey throughout the wilderness meeting him there in the tabernacle. For our God is the ever-present God. And even after Joshua's conquest of the promised land, the Lord continues raising up judges to steer the errant Israelites back to him. But even the prophet Samuel is exasperated when the stony hearts of the people of God cry out for a king to be like all the other nations, ignoring the fact that the King of kings and the Lord of lords is their king and their Lord who sits upon the heavenly throne. And so the Lord gives in to their request and gives them kings 
And in the reign of kings, the nation splits very quickly into two kingdoms. And so we see the rise of the prophets. Men who lived contrary to the rest of society. Men who were called by God to live a radically holy life in an unholy land. Men who were indeed like their forefather Moses, a stranger, ever present in a strange land. Now ultimately, the Israelites' sin accumulates until the land they were promised rejects them. The Lord executes justice on his people just as his people were to execute justice on the Canaanites who the Lord judged after 400 years of iniquity. The Lord sends another nation into the promised land to invade, to exile his own people. But even in exile, the Lord God is with them. He promises to Ezekiel a valley of dry bones coming back from the dead. He saves Daniel from the mouth of a lion and gives the vision of a stone causing the nations of the world to stumble and to break. He appears as the son of man who protects Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego from the flames of the oven. And he continues speaking and visiting his prophets after he returns his people home from exile by speaking through Haggai, Zechariah, Obadiah, Joel, and Malachi. And then silence. Until the Lord finally visits his people. The words of Malachi 3 are suddenly fulfilled. When, quote, the Lord whom you seek shall suddenly come into his temple. Even the messenger of the covenant whom you delight in. Behold, he shall come, says the Lord of hosts. But who shall abide in the day of his coming? Who shall stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire, like a fuller's soap. Our Lord is on a journey to Jerusalem. And his journey is nearing its end. In the chapter before our gospel reading, in Luke 19, the Son of God draws near to Jerusalem, to Zion, when he says that he saw the city and he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but they are hidden from your eyes, for the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you, and hem you in on every side and tear you to the ground, you and your children with you. And they will not leave one stone upon the other, because you did not know the time of your visitation. The Lord God who warned of his visit in Exodus has now appeared. He has been made manifest. He has come in the flesh to tabernacle with us. And in the day of his visitation, by God's grace, he still gives yet another 40 years. From he cries out, weeps over seeing Jerusalem. He gives another 40 years after his visitation until Jerusalem's destruction in A.D. 70. A merciful God, granting such time for repentance. And in the meantime, from those 40 years that are coming in AD 70, 
when the Son of God is here on the earth, He dies for our sins. He raises up from the dead and gives us eternal life. He commissions His apostles to preach to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. To save His people from judgment. To find His flock who hear His voice and know His name. And indeed, the church in Jerusalem grew for 40 years until it fled as it saw the approaching Roman army there at the gates of Jerusalem in fulfillment of Christ's prophecy. Do you flee from your sin? Do you flee from your sin and seek the Son of God who will visit you? Or are you continuing in your sin, continuing in your own desires, satisfying yourself or trying to satisfy yourself instead of taking up your own cross and following Christ to Jerusalem, to outside the vineyard, to Golgotha. Do not be deceived, church. The parable of the wicked tenants is for us. Just as God let out his promised land to Israel, for Israel to care, take care of, and to garden like Eden, so too are we given his body, the church, to go and bear fruit to the nations. We're given his spirit to be enlivened, to walk forth in the mission that God has given each one of us. We're grafted to the living vine that is Christ Jesus And through the living water of Jesus, we never thirst if we drink from him. We will always be satisfied, not by our own sins and desires, by drinking from his well that lies within us through the power of the Holy Spirit. We are provided his very own spirit to live, to move, to breathe, and to love overabundantly as he first loved us. And continues loving us. To serve. And to serve each other. As he served the world. By washing the feet of his servants. And by dying for us sinners. So that we may be transformed. Into servants of the ever living God. So now we approach the gospel lesson. In Luke chapter 20. And he began to tell the people this parable. A man planted a vineyard. And he let it out to tenants. He went into another country for a long while, and when the time came, he sent a servant to the tenants, so they would give him some of the fruits of the vineyard. But the tenants beat him and sent him away empty-handed. And he sent another servant, but they also beat him and treated him shamefully and sent him away empty-handed. And he sent yet a third. This one also they wounded and cast out. And to the one who is wounded, I can't help but think of that holy tradition of what happened to God's prophets, of Isaiah torn asunder, sawn in two, of Jeremiah stoned to death, and of Ezekiel murdered. Then the owner of the vineyard said, What shall I do? I will send my beloved son. Perhaps they will respect him. But when the tenants saw him, they said to themselves, This is the heir. Let us kill him. So the inheritance, this vineyard, will be ours. And they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Just 
is they very shortly will throw out Christ from the gates of Jerusalem, the gates of Zion, and kill him upon Golgotha. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and destroy those tenants and give that vineyard to others. And when they heard that, they cried out, Surely not. Church, the vineyard, God's kingdom, is given over to us. We're called to plant this vineyard across all of the earth. Our task is to put our hand to the plow and not to look back. But then Christ looked directly at them, and he said to them, What then is this that is written? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The stone the people rejected has become the very cornerstone. And everyone who falls upon that stone will be broken into pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it shall crush them. Jesus Christ is that stone. Jesus Christ is the rock whom we must build upon our house, our life, our church, and our soul if we were to have a true and real repentance, true and real faith, true life and real purpose. We must rest upon Christ Jesus, the cornerstone. Just as the pyramids are built high into the heavens, but they will fall down if their cornerstone is taken out, so too must we as Christians, as people of God, rest upon the cornerstone of our faith, the cornerstone of Christ. Remember that the other stones of a pyramid, they go up to the sky, but they're merely resting upon the weight being born. There, upon the bottom, there, the cornerstone. And we, Christians, we, church, must rest upon the work that is done and that is finished by Christ Jesus upon his cross. Cast your trust upon him. Place your faith upon him alone. Throw down the weight of your sins upon him, your cornerstone. He will bear it. He will bear our sins. And he will forever blot them out. And then he will lift you up. The cornerstone will lift you up as it lifts up the whole work of God's holy temple. And we are now the living temples of God with the Holy Spirit resting upon us. If we rest upon him, the Son, who is there lifting us up to be a holy tabernacle for him. This is why we pray today. Almighty God, you alone can bring order into the unruly wills and affections of sinners. Grant your people grace. Grace for what? To love what you command and desire what you promise. That among the swift and varied changes of this world, our hearts may surely there be fixed upon the cornerstone of Christ where true joys are to be found. This collect for today, it points out our tenant-like hearts. We need order in the chaos of our hearts, just as creation needed God's ordering to make it good. 
This prayer leads us to the call that St. Paul is calling us in his own epistle. A focus, a union, a singular purpose to identify and unite ourselves to Christ Jesus. Hear now the epistle lesson from Philippians chapter 3, beginning of verse 7. Whatever gain I had, I count as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection. And may share, may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Sinners, finish out this Lent. Finish out your life by sharing in Christ's sufferings, by becoming more like Him, by dying to yourself and uniting yourself in your heart upon His death upon the cross, where He shows His love when He stretches out His arms to the world. So that, as Paul says in verse 11, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Do you desire by any means possible to attain the new life, to be satisfied by the satisfaction that comes from outside ourselves, that can only come from God alone, by trusting not in yourself, not in princes, not in the power of chariots, not in the power of mankind, but by trusting in Him who died so that dead men may live. Labor now in love. Out of love, labor for the one who labored for the entirety of humanity to redeem us from ourselves, from our sin, and from death. For those who have walked the way of Jesus Christ for years, remember Paul's words here in verse 12. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. Brethren, Church of the Good Shepherd, have you fallen in sin in this Lent? Have you failed in your fasting? Are you wearied by the sickness of sin and the devil who's on your back? Listen to Paul's wisdom. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let us continue pressing forward and pressing on, on that upward call, being built now as a new temple, resting upon that cornerstone who is Christ Jesus. Because we are in exile. We are strangers in a strange land. We are in the valley of the shadow of death while on this earth. But the valley is darkest until the sun bursts forth upon the mountain, pouring its light over the valley. And we walk not alone, but our shepherd goes with us. His rod and his staff comforts us, for he knows the way and is the way.
think back, church, back to Advent. To that prophecy that Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, had in the Gospel of Luke in chapter 1. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. As Paul told the Philippians, and as he tells us today, let us hold true to what we have attained. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will visit us again. Amen. Amen. Thank you again for joining us on the Anglican Church of the Good Shepherd, Pelham, Alabama podcast. We hope that you'd visit us in person. We have Sunday worship uh, every Sunday at 1030 in the morning. And you can visit us on our website at www.goodshepherdacna.com or visit us on Facebook at Good Shepherd ACNA. Also, if you enjoy the podcast, please like, subscribe, and rate the podcast. It not only makes us feel better, but more importantly, it helps those who are searching for Anglican podcasts find podcasts like this one and other ones that are out there on the web. Thank you, God bless, and have a good one. The Lord be with you, and with thy spirit, lift up your hearts. We lift them up unto the Lord. Let us give thanks unto our Lord God. It is meet and right so to do.